Welcome to Relationship Psych, the podcast, helping you understand how love turns to anger and even hate. Through the episodes, you will learn how to transform doomed relationships into exciting, intimate, and long-lasting partnerships. I'm your host, Amber Dawson. I'm a psychologist, author, and speaker. A few of my favorite things are my husband, Grapes, and my adorable little dog, Riggs. Now let's learn how to create a soul-crushing love that lasts. Hit subscribe in your podcast app so that simply by listening, you can learn to create a strong relationship. Relationships like the podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any mental health or relational issue. For treatment, talk to a mental health or relationship professional in your area. How loving relationships become angry relationships. Advice from couples therapy to make your relationship better. By listening, you can get general relationship advice and think about how to apply this to make your relationship better. In this podcast, we're going to look at the early bliss produced by courtship and how that changes over time. Now, certainly, couples therapy is appropriate for most couples. And the reason for that is because it pinpoints your specific issues. So this podcast is not pinpointing your specific issues and is not advice specific for you. However, this is just general relationship advice that most couples are going to benefit from. Now, think about a new relationship. It leaves our hearts pounding and our chests and our palms getting sweaty as we count down the minutes to see that apple of our eye. In those early days, just as fast as our elation can rise, a clipped remark, a misdate, a forgotten text can quickly take our excitement and catapult it into hurt, disrespect, despair, or sadness. Let's look at what makes our hearts race and our hands sweat, what happens as we fall in love? In the romantic TV show on Netflix, Sweet Magnolias, Maddie Townsend is newly divorced after her husband has an affair. They live in the small town of Serenity, South Carolina. She finds herself attempting to co-parent up to managing all the tasks in her home and finding her way back to the workforce. Her teenage son, who typically is great at baseball, starts struggling on and off the field. He's throwing poorly, his grades are dropping, and the new baseball coach contacts his mother to talk about how her son is doing. He suggests that she and the ex-husband attend a meeting together. Now, Maddie talks this over with her son, and he asks, you just go, okay, I don't want dad there. This conversation leaves her alone with the coach. Trying to balance her new role at the spa and parenting, she one day she can't pick up her son from baseball. As her car pulls into the driveway, there's already a truck there. It's the coach pulling in with her son in the passenger seat. After her son heads inside, she praises the coach thanking him. Then he offers if there's anything she needs to just holler. You see the little grins that they both give as they walk away. One day, Maddie finds her kitchen pooling in water and as she looks under the sink, it's it's clear her sink is leaking. She ends up calling the coach to help her out because she can't get a plumber. It starts out with two kind of shy, cautious people on good behavior. They're there to want to help each other out. Maddie is grateful that he's arrived. 
they're jokey. She's explaining with her hands. He's looking at her grinning and talking about how he appreciates her thoughtfulness. Then he turns off the water and they're both laughing. The whole scene is lighthearted and playful. They both make mistakes, laugh, joke, and treat each other kindly. Both soaking wet from the plumbing, she invites him to stay for a drink. Nice things they're doing for each other. Long story short, he doesn't end up staying. But as the story progresses, this coach can be snot seeking, sneaking over to her spot lunchtime to steal a kiss or dropping off a bouquet of flowers. All the gestures show, hey, Maddie, I'm into you. Now, all of these kind gestures are things we do in the beginning of a relationship. And we want to think about why are these gestures so important? Well, I have a study that talks about it. I have lots of studies that talk about it, but I'm going to go to the one of the first studies I found. It comes from 1989. It is an experimental evaluation of caring day techniques for marital enrichment by LaCroix and colleagues. This research explains simple little things we can do, creating positives in our relationships that basically explores that with minimal intervention from couples therapists, couples start to do better and they do better post-therapy. So that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to think that with little itty bitty caring actions, people begin to feel better in their marriage. There's something about increasing reciprocal positivity. They aren't the only ones who find that positives in our relationship are super important. John Gottman has found that a ratio of five positives for every one negative in a relationship equal, you know, generally pretty good. So it sounds simple. Okay, just keep your relationship positive by engaging in more positives. Nevertheless, any couple that has ever encountered conflict or prolonged emotional distance know that creating positives in the midst of hurt, anger, sadness, fear, that can be hard (laughs) to accomplish. This episode is all about the little positive things that can lead to overall happier relationships. When we see the early courtship of Maddie and the baseball coach, we see tons of micro-caring actions. It's no wonder they fall for each other. What happens when we fall in love is a great mystery to many. However, in the modern day, there's a little art, a little science, and a little hypothesis that tells us a lot about the why we fall in love and how we stay in love. This episode is going to help you understand how we create romantic bliss and connection and how it can turn to disillusionment, disillusionment and anger and even hate. TV shows like The Sweet Magnolia expertly show the scenes of early love. Couples are swept up in each other. They want to spend time together. They share little gestures, steal kisses, purchase gifts, text and talk on the phone. Everything is designed to majestically show what a relationship is meant to be. Think of how Maddie and the baseball coach show their care. She thanks him for driving her child home. He offers to help her in the future. She calls him in distress and he comes. They are playful and nice as they fix the leak, not snarky and rude. After they finish, she invites him to spend time. And in future episodes, we see him sneaking in the spa to drop off flowers or to give her a kiss. Look at these all little positives, fast, quick, easy, inexpensive kindness that sets the foundation for love. I can't tell you how many couples I've talked to that say things like, well, he just should drive the kids or she just should clean up. Okay, well, maybe they should, 
But if you can say thank you and appreciate and show positivity, these things go a long way. In our own lives, we find models of love through our families, our friends, past relationships, and even TV or social media. From our experience, we develop a frame of what love should, in air quotes, should be. We create a kind of TV show in our mind's eye of what is meant to be or what our soulmate will be like. In the face of new love, we forget past hurts, like a husband who had an affair, and set about attempting to do all the right things. Because after all, if we do the right things, it's almost as if we're confirming that this really was meant to be, or we wouldn't be doing those things. Early relationship is that phase of extreme happiness, bliss, and arousal. It's so pleasurable that sometimes we basically become obsessed with the object of our desires. The highs, the exhilaration, the bliss that are all there make it hard to believe that that phase will ever come to an end. In this time, we spend a lot of time daydreaming about our partner, thinking of cute things they did, or just conjuring up images of what the future will be like, if not stalking them on social media. (laughs) The mind is so focused on the positive, it doesn't even notice differences in interests, conflicting values, or less than great personality traits. It's as if our mind is caught in a less provoked positive bias. The goal of this phase of the relationship is to create a powerful connection for the couple to embark upon maintaining a relationship. Over the passage of time, this early infatuation phase cools off. The early positive tunnel vision is replaced with a more wholesome approach to a partner's strengths and weaknesses. As we drift out of infatuation, we notice differences and conflicts emerge and characteristics or behaviors about our partners that challenge our initial conclusion about if we really are meant to be. Esther Perel in her TED talk on infidelity points out that people used to marry for economic reasons. Now we marry for love and to be happy. And one of the reasons people often leave marriages is to be happier. Since it's so easy to become unhappy in long-term relationships, it's important to think about how to inject happiness and positivity into a marriage, especially to protect against the factors that turn love into anger and even hate and divorce. Because there's a lot in our relationships that is good. And a lot of people think grass is going to be greener on the other side, but the grass is actually usually greener where you water it. Now, partners who were once oblivious to their partner's conflicting values start to notice the real-life implications of different worldviews. You start to see the downsides of a hmm, hard-to-get-along-with-personality or how you would really handle different ways you want to spend the weekend. Maybe one of you wants to chill and watch Netflix on the couch, and the other one of you wants to be at a baseball game with your buddies. These differences start to lead to a little bit of clash. Many times you will hear people say, well, if you're not happy, just leave. Or they should see it your way. Just tell them how it is. Assert yourself. Okay, well, yeah, you could assert yourself, but also compromise. And remember, differences are a normal part of relationships. And even partners that are meant to be are also probably different. Eventually, there will be a misstep in a relationship, an opposing view that will shake the positive halo surrounding your partner. It's usually not the first misstep that causes a problem. It's the repeat of a same problem or a compilation of many little problems. As the saying goes, 
death by a hundred paper cuts. Now, when an incident happens, an opposing view, something that shakes that halo, this is what's called a critical incident. The critical incident, it's something that basically is if in the past, when you saw your partner with that overly favorable tunnel vision, it's like you were wearing rose-colored glasses, where every time you put them on, you just saw your partner in a favorable light. But the critical incident is displeasing enough. It's like it removes the glasses from your eyes. And once the glasses are removed, you don't have that positive lens. And you start to have negative thoughts about your partner and their intentions. You might start to think things like, they don't respect me. They don't even like me. They don't care about me or they never listen because the critical incident is well critical and the person is so upset we will have big feelings when we are in big feeling state we often think more negatively often leading the mind to disaster scenarios about the future so for example if your critical incident was that your partner was late coming home for dinner again leaving it all to you to make dinner, sit at the table with the children, then clean up, the future disaster scenarios playing through your mind might sound something like this. Here we go again. All the child cares on me. I might as well be a single mom and get a divorce. Or they are so selfish. All they think about is themselves. Think of all the nights I'm going to be exhausted because they aren't helping. Because the critical incident causes so much upset, negative emotions, anger, sadness, despair, resentment, The rose-colored glasses have been taken off. Eventually, the upset partner, in most cases, raises the issue. They could raise it by saying, you're so selfish, leaving me on my own again like that. Or going icy and giving the cold shoulder when their partner gets home. Now, the partner who had the violation is usually going to take moves like this as an attack and then counterattack. And by making a counterstatement back or withdrawing, either way, If it ends up being negative, it starts the cycle of a fight. If the cycle persists and the problem isn't solved, this leads the person whose rose-colored glasses came off to continue to notice the faults with their partner. Now, there will always be faults with our partners. And for more, check out episode two, help. My partner is driving me crazy. Because we are all so quick to want to be happier, some couples try even stop fixing the problems or sorting out how to disagree. We are all going to disagree. We have to learn to figure out how do we disagree together? How are these critical incidents created? Well, anger overall is a two-part process. So there are two different ways that the problems will be created. One is by having positive expectations that aren't gonna come true. So for example, if you think my partner will be home for dinner, and then they're not home for dinner, your expectations are thwarted, and you're gonna be upset. Now, the other way that we can have a critical incident occur is if our negative expectation is fulfilled. My partner will be late for dinner again, and then they are. Now, if you think your partner will be home and they aren't, your positive expectation leads to upset. Depending on how negative your relationship is, or how long your rose-colored glasses have been off, This can lead to differences in how the problem is solved. If your rose-colored glasses are on, you might be flexible and say, oh, well, I bet they wish they were here with us. I know they're going to help later. But if your rose-colored glasses are off, you might think they're so selfish, they never consider my needs or the needs of our kiddos. 
how a negative expectation leads to a problem goes like this. If you already think your partner is going to let you down, it could be because of a past relationship or this current relationship. But for example, this didn't happen in the TV show Sweet Magnolias, but let's imagine it did. Maddie was left by her husband, who she had three children with, and he left her for the woman he was having an affair with. We can reasonably guess that she might generate a fear that in the future, a new partner would be unfaithful or leave her for another woman. Now let's imagine this coach that seems pretty great. One day she catches him in his office talking to another woman there alone. Now to her, this might feel like a violation. It might be like men can't be trusted. It's happening again. Whereas even if he was just having an innocent conversation, because she has that negative expectation, it's going to be fulfilled that she could be left again for another affair. It makes sense that she has a negative expectation. She's kind of looking for evidence of that. Now, in this case, in the hypothetical situation of the sweet magnolias, anger comes from the negative expectation coming true, that he's there with another woman. And what could that mean? Now, in everyday run-of-the-mill couple problems, the couple problem rarely lies in malicious intent that causes upset. Usually our unhappiness comes from the removal of our rose-colored glasses, leading us to make a negative interpretation about what our partners meant to do. With the passage of time and the longer and longer removal of glasses and more unfulfilled positive expectations or fulfilled negative expectations, couple problems magnify and we see our partners in a very, very negative view. To make the relationship work, especially long-term, as you can see, we have to put intentional effort into making it work. Yeah, we have to inject our relationship with some positivity. It doesn't have to be expensive getaways or massive grand gestures. It's most often the simple, caring ways we treat each other. So put on your rose-colored glasses. If you were wearing them, what would you do for your partner? Think of things you would have done in early courtship. And think about how you can transform your relationship. I'm not saying you can't be upset about if your partner does come home late. You can certainly nicely, politely, with a little bit of grace, hold them accountable to their behavior. But think about how you want to do that and how can you also give them the benefit of the doubt. And if your partner is someone that's often late, how can you focus on the positive attributes about them? Now, certainly, we have to also think about how do we compromise with our partners? How do we work together to make things better? And if your partner isn't also willing to do things for you, you might want to question that. But as we can see, injecting some positivity goes a long way. Thank you for tuning in to Relationship Psych, the podcast put on by Ember Relationship Psychology. If you're looking for more free relationship help or advice that comes straight from the couple's therapy room, check out the free resources and the blog at www.emberrelationshippsychology.com.